Hey everybody, welcome back for another fun edition of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today I have my guy, Mahesh Patel, who the premier luxury whiskey event, I mean, I probably in the world at this point, I would safe to say, and we just have a ton of fun. And he has just that whiskey passion that I love. And we've we've geeked out on so many whiskeys over the last few years that I had to have him on the show and, and talk a little whiskey. Mahesh, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Gavin. Looking oh, my pleasure. Yeah. Mahesh, let's talk. Can we talk about the start of the journey and when it switched on to you? Like, whoa, this is cool. The whiskey world. Yeah, sure. I think uh, we could start the journey way, way back when I grew up in the UK, if you want. So, well, let's go. Yeah, yeah we started, uh, I wouldn't say as a toddler, but no, 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 no. <laughs> but in the teens, in the teens, I was like, um, I'm a structural engineer by profession. And uh, that's what's been my background. And last time I got to the United States, a real estate construction development company. So we've been doing that, and that's uh, sort of given me the passion to buy a lot of good stuff as well. But not just sorry, the passion, the the ability to buy some of the high end products. But uh, it, it truly, this passion grew when I was uh, probably when I was fifteen or so. When we traveled to Scotland, my dad and his friends uh, we were on vacation, and they loved their little tipple of whiskey. But back in the days, this was probably around about. Uh, the early 70s, somewhere around there, early 80s, late 70s. And uh, really, there wasn't not much out there in terms of uh, lots of molds or anything like that. There were the three glens, as I call them. Yeah, yeah, I was I was going to say, what did, I was gonna say, what did the tipple look like back in those days? Cause they, well, I, I would feel, yeah, but the tipple really was, I'll be honest with you, it was teachers, it was bells, it was things like that. You know, the white horse and all that kind of stuff people used to drink especially back in the UK, uh, single malts, you could see the odd bottle of Glen, uh, Glen Fiddick, Glen Livet, and then we started to see Glen Morangi. So I used to call them the three Glens. And we visited on this particular trip, we visited, uh, we were up in the Highlands near Speyside and uh, we visited Glen Fiddick. And it was only the, only a distillery at that time that was doing visitor tours. So we went in as a family, my dad and all those guys got to, his friends got to try and taste. But I just got fascinated by the production of all these things, how they made the whiskey. And I, that really that really sort of inked into my sort of memory there, and I didn't forget about that. And then as I uh, moved on and uh, went into sort of a, we started drinking a little early back in the day in the UK, you know, like 15, 16, sort of go, used to go to pubs. It was all a different era then. And uh, basically I uh, looked at these whiskeys on the, on the shelves and I started recognizing Glenfiddich, but it wasn't until I got to university and I went to the University of Brighton, uh, just south of London. And I really wasn't, the beer scene was lagers and some of the rails, but I started experimenting with a little bit of whiskey and uh, Glenfiddich and Glenlivet and all those started becoming my tipple and started enjoying those. But it really kicked in once I graduated from them and I was lucky enough to get a, a really good position with a company called Mark McDonald's. I was a junior engineer on the Channel Tunnel project, so that was fun, and that got me across wow. the other side of the uh, the channel quite a bit into France, and so the duty-free shops were the real gateway for me to experiment, and I started buying a bottle of this, bottle of that, started looking at the limited edition ranges, and as I started traveling overseas, I started uh, buying a few of these, trying them, enjoying them, and I've always had a principle 
for buying two of everything, at least what I could afford at the time. But this, as I moved to the United States in the early 90s, after we got married and I started uh, sort of building my development company here, I started seeing a little bit more of the malt presence in this country, got to know a few friends around the country in the Atlanta area and elsewhere. I started buying more bottles and we used to get together and it became an addiction. So we started uh, basically going back to Scotland as a group of whiskey nerds, traveling and just enjoying whiskey and got to know a lot of the retailers, uh, a lot of the whiskey makers. And it just became a passion. And from there, the collection, I was building my collection up as well, enjoying and drinking. And uh, it got to a point that we were going to some of the early whiskey shows that were happening around the country. But it got to a point that we just really wanted to enjoy a little bit better level of whiskey. And what we used to do was buy them as groups. And we used to go away for a weekend somewhere. Binney's was a great place. We used to go to Chicago's and a friend of mine there, Brett Pontoni. Mm-hmm. We used to go in the back of his liquor store and we'd sit there, I'd buy these different whiskeys, and spend the weekend enjoying and drinking these whiskeys and people, friends from all around the country. And he built from there. And then, then it clicked to me in around about 2008, 2009. We're having that recession, as we all remember, the big sort of back meltdown, which we hope we don't get again. So yeah. at that time, it did impact us real estate-wise, and I started thinking, you know what? I built a really good network of whiskey connoisseurs and also got to know a lot of the whiskey makers around the country, around the world, and I thought, let's do this. Let's set up something that's at a bit more premium end. You know, I've, we've done Whiskey Fest, Whiskey Live, all of those, and there's nothing wrong with them. They're a great, great no. way to get into this stuff. At that time, I mean, we were just feeling with a group of my friends that we just needed to elevate this to something different. Took my wife on a birthday visit to the new Encore Hotel. I think it was 2009. And we just went there and we'd been to the Wind Tower before. And I sat there, we had breakfast, and I said to my wife, you know what? I think I've found where I want to do my whiskey experience. I said, I'm going to bring it to Las Vegas. We'll do it here. And that was like, yeah, great. That was, at that time, that was like, who do I talk to? And at the time, dealing with anybody at the win was tough. But luckily, I found this one lady and who was the Southeastern Regional Director. I got in touch with her. She came back to me. We started uh, talking about this, and it clicked off. And in, uh, we launched our first event in early 2011. And it went from there. It was a one-day experience or one-and-a-half-day experience. And now we've grown this thing into uh, five days of... Uh, a luxury whiskey splurge experience. So it's uh, that's where it all began, my friend. So you, so so similar, you know, you and I spoke and grew up in South Africa. You know, I think South Africa, the UK, you know, a lot of people don't understand. There's no like real formal ID. So you know, if you can get away with it, you can get it somewhere <laughs> yeah. and go drinking when you probably shouldn't be. No one's checking. No one gives a shit. They're just grateful for the money. And I would, you know. It was in South Africa. It was Bells and J and B, and then like a little bit of Johnny Walker Black, and then they put yeah. like a big event. You know, it was Johnny Walker Blue. That was like you, like oh, oh my God, this must be like you know heaven on earth. This Johnny Walker Blue thing. Oh, yeah. Johnny Walker Blue. When I first big deal I here to the states, it was like oh, we save that for birthdays and special occasions. You don't touch yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> weddings, bar weddings, things like that. It was like. <laughs> and you're like, oh, and even when I started working in the restaurant business, like that was the top, top shelf. 
yeah, absolutely different. And then you, you know, and and you know, there wasn't, there just wasn't a Scotch present. They were blended. You know, South Africa, we didn't even see the the glens. The glens weren't there really. And obviously, there was no American whiskey. There was there was Bushmills. You know, there was Irish, but nobody really tippled in that. That was nothing. There was very little. Oh, there very little of that. Yeah. And Jap- yeah, Japanese it was, wasn't even you know, heard of at the time. Japanese, nobody even... Japanese, just... even, even McAllen. Even McCall- oh, McAllen. McAllen. <laughs> yeah, McAllen was... Uh, actually, they've done really well in the time that they've come into the market and really taken that luxury position. But really, I've got to give it credit to the Glens because they were out there before anybody else, particularly Glen Lefinick and Glen Livet, that were out there and promote, you know getting the the story of a single malt out there. So... But there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with blends. Okay, I I like blended whiskey as well. Oh. And you know that you know we've got great ones. Yeah. Like, and even a single malt is a blend, right? But it's a blend from all the whiskeys for one house. Uh, unless if it's a single cast, yeah. then it's a different story. Yeah. But, so yeah, so, South so now, so now you, you, yeah, in the UK. I mean, I remember going. You know, obviously we'd go to London a lot because there was a lot of friends and family. Yeah, well, that was it. It was nothing. I was never a beer guy. That was never my thing. You know, I, I just, I enjoyed scotch. Scotch, scotch. That was my thing. So now, okay, so so this is, now you come to the U.S. in the 90s, and you guys are buying bottles, and you're saying duty-free. But, like, it's not really, like, heavy pricing, right? I mean, you're talking about two, three, and I'm going to go with, with, the story will make more sense in a few minutes, but, like, you you know, we're talking about drinking, like, two, three, four hundred dollar bottles, right? Like, that's, that was considered luxury whiskey back then. You're, you're absolutely right. In the early 90s and uh, back in those days, you know, if you spent a couple hundred uh, pounds or dollars on a bottle of whiskey, people looked at you in a strange way. They thought you you're bloody crazy, you know, <laughs> buying something so expensive. You know, that's we were doing that, but not really. Once the eight, uh, later into the 80s, late 80s, not 80s, sorry, 90s, you, you did see some more in the duty-free shops, you used to see some of the more expensive bottles, and I always kept my eyes on those, and I started buying some of those, like the Bomores and some things like that I started seeing. And i give you a classic example. You probably know about this. Is You know, the black Bomores, when they first came out, they were 100 to 150 bucks. Great whiskeys, right? And the people used to drink them up, and now they've become a highly big collector's items that are running for tens and thousands of dollars, right? So those are classic Huge. examples of the affordable limited range that used to come out. But you're right, those those weren't too expensive. But now you go through a duty-free shop, it's changed a little bit. You do see limited runs, and you probably see duty-free exclusive. But problem is, everything's a duty-free exclusive. And it's a bit of a puzzling market because, you know, I'm a believer in taste, and I buy by tasting things as well. So it's not just about the age and all that kind of stuff. It's about taste. And so... Some of the stuff you see in some of them at these duty-free airports nowadays, currently, is it's okay in my opinion. But so you still have to the allocated stuff is now people know more about it, so it's they're all over spread over in different markets, so they're harder to find. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I th- I think that duty-free has become a what it, you know it's a whiskey marketing. It's an att- attempt to put a product out there that may or may not be limited or as limited as we think, and it's for a captive audience that's traveling internationally that gets to view it. Correct. And they can put crazy stuff. I mean, Dalmore, Dalmore, McAllen, they've done really good jobs on like like super high-end duty-free items. 
you know, yes, they have. I wouldn't think you're sitting in an airport and there's a forty-eight thousand dollar bottle of scotch, you know, sitting in the duty free. Oh, absolutely, and I see it regularly. But those brands do it well, and then you then you do see the affordable lines, and there's some great ones, exclusives as well that people can enjoy and drink. So it's it's become a big. Uh, it like to say it's a great marketing story to put your brands in front of people at great airports. Unfortunately, in the United States, we don't have any decent. Uh, airports that well not decent yeah. airports any stores in airports that are decent unfortunately and I travel a lot and I got to say Europe uh, yeah. Asia other parts of the world do a much better job than any of the US airports do oh yeah I mean I looked at Dubai Dubai was not oh Dubai's off the wow. <laughs> oh like a... <laughs> how did you even get I mean you know God bless him so okay so now we're in the 90s you're over here you're you know like you said you and I agree there's not really much going on. As far as price, it's not like when is the first time you see a abnormally priced bottle of whiskey presented to you? Like, w- like when is that? Is that early two thousands where all of a sudden there is a ten thousand dollar bottle available for purchase, or even later? No, actually, I would say uh, late late nineties into like two thousand really or two thousand one because. I was traveling back in the day, and uh, a bottle caught my eye. It was just, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not blaming Glenfiddich, but it was a Glenfiddich 1937. And there was only, I believe, 69 bottles of it that came out of this cask. And it was, uh, I caught my eye at Heathrow Airport. It was 10,000 pounds. And then I'm like, oh, I was like, no, nah, no, nah, let it be. And then a year or so later, I was traveling through Asia, and I w- we were in uh, Bangkok, Thailand, that's right. And we were in this mall, this fancy liquor store in there, and I'm looking at this bottle. I said, I know that one. And they had it there, would you believe, at that store. It was sitting there. When I did my numbers at the time, it was coming in at about a hun- uh, just under 100,000 US. And I'm like, let me check Whoa. my exchange rate. Exchange. It was still coming in there. I thought, <laughs> crazy, this is this is... That, that's that's a crazy price. So next time I, I went back through London again, I picked up that bottle for ten thousand pounds. Then I then I then the the Bulmores were another ones that I started buying a lot from Judy Freeze, as well as some Dalmores. But the real real sort of turning point where if you want to call it a crazy price bottle was in the latter part of 2000, 2010. I wouldn't call it crazy now, but uh, I was uh, yeah. offered the the bottle of Trinitas, the Dalmore Trinitas, mm-hmm. bottle number one, for a hundred thousand pounds. The first whiskey uh, ever for over a hundred thousand pounds, and I bought it. And that 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 was oh, so, like, please big please tell time. please tell the story because I've I've heard it and 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 it, and that was you said that was early two thousands. No, that that one happened close towards 2010. Uh, that was a bit later on. But I can go back to some 2000. Well, let me tell you this story first. Then I'll come back. But uh, this one was quite interesting. Only three bottles produced. I got to offered bottle number one. The meeting was that I meet Richard Patterson. We go on live TV in New York. I think it was, uh, yeah, Bloomberg, I believe. It was one of the reports. So we go on TV. It's a big thing. Uh, some guy from Atlanta buys a bottle for hundred thousand pounds. And Rich is standing there. Rich is the whiskey maker. We get, it was great fun. He was all kilted out, and I was sitting with him, uh, standing next to him. 
And we're just sitting there, and Richard goes and gives all the presenters, there's three of them, a little taste. And this is all happening live. It's all fun. And then he goes right behind uh, one of the presenters. I think her name was Michelle. And and he lets off, and he, goes, as he does his usual thing, as you know, Gavin, hold, hold it in your mouth, hold it in yep. your mouth. And I was getting yeah, yeah. 64 years old. She's not going to hold it for 64 seconds. And anyway, <laughs> in, in about 30 seconds, he let off a party popper behind her. And I'm, I'm telling you, she literally went flying out of her seat on live TV. <laughs> okay. The, the whiskey spilled. Uh, no, the whiskey, he had, you know how he does his rinsing technique and throws the whiskey? Yeah, underneath it in the room. Yeah, and it was on the, on the little mat, the rubber mat in front of the uh, presenters. And it was fun, and it was it's blown. And then they came back to us, and there's the guys here, and then they zoomed into the rubber mat, and they say, oh, there's that whiskey there. It looks like he's burning a hole into the mat. <laughs> that, was a, that was a pretty cool moment with Richard, but that's just Richard, right? You've you met him. He's class to act. Oh, God, yeah. But yeah. Going back, I, mean, so, I mean, I'm just thinking, like, go, go, go. No, I was going to say, going back to some of, before that, in the early 2000s, I had bought a number of products, and then, you know, McAllen had come out with their Finer Rare series. So I went in and bought a few of the, quite a few of those, and bought more. So I had started collecting, and at that time I was buying whiskeys, including that 10,000-pound bottle that I bought from the Heathrow Airport. So I was starting buying a lot of whiskeys, and at that time, literally, I'm not kidding, and I, was, I wasn't making a big thing out of it. I was sort of collecting, but I'll tell you something, everything I've got, I pretty much have tried. So, and I believe in that. And I went in and then uh, buying all this. And then I, my family and, you know, my, even my dad was at the time, he was just saying, what are you doing here? Why, you know, this is just whiskey. And I, why are you buying all these expensive bottles of whiskey? And I go to them, don't worry about it. I, I see something in this. And I said, look, there's the rarity going on here. And, it, and it's nothing like back in those days. It was nothing like today where it's literally on fire with all the pricing and structure. But I'm glad I bought quite a lot of these pieces because it's been I've been able to put away some great gems of bottles that are now trading for a lot of money. Uh, so it's it's given me something there on that respect. But also I love having it, and it's just a it's just you know having that collection. But I thought I was classified as a loony basically at the time for buying all these. Experiences. Oh, I I agree. I mean, yeah, because it wasn't. It's not. Tr it's not normal thinking. I mean, I get the same shit. People are like, I can't believe you have so much whiskey. I'm like, listen, I got 400 open bottles. Yeah, like it's enough. Yeah. I I I have my collection, and that's great. And you know, and then the pricing. I mean, I tell people the price is beholden to whoever's willing to pay it. What's a hundred thousand might sound crazy to you, might sound like nothing to somebody else. All in the That's eye of the book, right? And I think, and I think that, and I think that whiskey brands, you know, I I spend a lot of time, and they're like, oh shit, we can't believe how much that bottle is going for. You know, they sold that ten thousand dollar bottle. They probably gave it to duty free for five grand, for the distributor to sell it to duty free for seven grand, to get it onto ten grand. They're like, oh, now it's worth a hundred grand. Like that thing costs us, you know, a thousand bucks to make. <laughs> like this, you know, I look at that and I'm like, wow, like. That dynamic has changed as yeah. to the cogs versus future sale price, because really it's in the eye of the buyer. Now, it might really be in the eye of the buyer. I'll be honest with you. You know, it, it, people now, uh, the more I think about it, and you know, when we had the real estate res recession back in 2008, 2010, I'm glad I, uh, that I was putting some of this away back then, because you know, some of the 
some of these banks that imploded hurt you know, some of our real estate projects. So I thought, you know, it's a good way to have some of these securities, the different securities, right? And no point exactly, but it's liquid gold, in my opinion. You know, some people put it in gut bowl. You know, we can, gold. You can turn it. You can turn it over. I mean, you know, obviously, you you know, it's these rare, unique pieces that are one of a few. Um, there's also, you know, what I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, is the same bottles that you have. There are people that you know those were put in restaurants, and they were open and drank, which means there's just less available in the world. Yeah. You know, it's just like they didn't make a lot because it was very specific. And, you know, prior to all these different crashes, like most of these were meant to be in like fine dining restaurants. They weren't supposed to be in our hands. They were supposed to go straight to the steakhouse, straight to the seafood place, you know, have it for those people that want to indulge in a luxurious evening of spending. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Back in those days, they were, and that's caused some of the allocation problems. They were taking them away in these restaurants and bars, the high-end bars and restaurants. I mean, you can walk into, in the wind. I, a classic example, when we started out in the wind uh, back in that first show, there was hardly a whiskey product to be found in any of these bars. Now you go in there, but you know, shelves are full of it. And we're not just talking about cheap bottles. We're talking seriously expensive bottles here. You know, I was with the McAllen guys a year and a half ago uh, at, uh, what's the hotel, uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Hilton? It's not, not the Hilton, the yep, Beverly yep. Hills Hotel, the pink one. And in their bar, they had the uh, McAllen 70-year-old, you know, the the, the 70, the, the 70 they did in that Lalipi Canada. Well, when I went, down, went to the bar, there was only, a, I would say there's probably a, only a quarter of a bottle left in there. <laughs> okay. So they were selling it. Well, it's so, the same as that montage. Yeah, yeah montage. it was in that montage, which is now, yeah, it's now called like whatever it's called, the Glastonbury or whatever, Mayfair or something like that. I was like, they got the whole Elite collection up there on the top shelf and it's all like half bottles. Yeah. But just like, you know, it, it, it makes sense. I guess, you know, I look at, you know, that let's dial into in, into the Anthem, the Universal Whiskey Experience, you know, for for a fraction of what the bottle, a, a tiny fraction you give us access to some of the most insane whiskey that's ever been made, let alone poured. You know, Absolutely. because if I think of like all the years of like the crazy stuff and, and, and also for you, the curation, I mean, I've watched it year over year. It just gets bigger and bigger. And I mean, not that it wasn't always fun. It just gets more and more fun because it's like, it's like it becomes a vacation with friends that you may not see very often. And you get together for that common love of like, Hey, we just love drinking great whiskey, and then we enjoy it. And and you know, there's a couple of there's a couple of collectors in there. You know, it is, and then and then there's just a lot of just people that just enjoy great whiskey. They don't, they don't buy it to collect; they buy it to drink. Which God bless them that it's meant to be drank. I get it. You know, like I. I, I it was a financial play. Yeah, we talked about collection, so let's talk about the enjoyment angle. For me, it's always started off with, yeah. as enjoyment. I enjoy it, and I've made some great friends and great friends in the industry, but just throughout the world, enjoying this tipple. So it's the socially, this is an amazing product to get around. And you just hit it on the nail. When we created this uh, Universal Whiskey Experience and the uh, Las Vegas and the show, we in embraced all these great products. I wanted to bring them there, share them with people. And you know what? We've been blessed to be able to every year trying to bring more and more great things. So the high roller experience that we do for two days, right, Gavin, you've been to that. You know, when you go to the Super yep. Hydro Lounge, the Super Bowl Lounge, we call it. I mean, 
we, every year we're increasing more and more super poles in there, okay? Just to go in and, I mean, this year we're, we're close to 59 different expressions coming in there, okay? More than even last year. So when you look at the average, if you were to go, first of all, can you find all of those in one room? Almost impossible. No. <laughs> and secondly, yeah. not just that, having the whiskey makers and their top plus people come in that room and have that experience at the same time is it's priceless because you can't have that, you know, and you were charging $3,000 for a two-day package there, and that also includes the second-day show, but the Hyrule also comes with, you know, six unique master classes. So, you know, the experience is fully laid on, and it's really there for enjoyment. So, you know, if you, if you don't really want to buy and collect bottles, don't do it. Come and enjoy this stuff because to do it in one location over a weekend uh, of two or three days, it's just impossible to have all of that together. I, I, I think it is. But you're right. Well, not at that, not at that caliber. Not, not that caliber. It's not very, very caliber. difficult. And no. I go through no. a lot of preparation trying to get people to come across and bring this stuff. It's just a lot of hard work. I'm using all my connections to do this all the time every year. And as you know, this year we've got the Legend Supper, which is now even more fun. 12 different experiences on the Thursday evening before the other show comes in to play. We've got the legends, people like Richard Patterson, Bill, uh, Dr. Bill Lumsden. We've got uh, Custer Nico from William Grants. We've got uh, uh, Benedicta Hardy, the owner of Hardy uh, Cognac Company. We've got so many of those people in that room. They're going to treat you to one, one of their products in front of everybody in a small group of 50 people. So, you know, those are what are priceless kind of experiences, fun and the, the friendship and the, the, the bonds that people have made have become lifetime. You just mentioned to me that you did a little podcast with my good friend Ely from Anchorage, Alaska. Well, we, you know, yeah. he brings in a great crowd. He's a great friend. Everybody, like you even said earlier, that they, they look forward to coming there and meeting for a few days and then destroying, disappearing back into their world and coming back again. So Ely, I was there for um, in November. We did something at his restaurant with Border McPhail. So, uh, and I did three other days of tastings there with him. So it's it's just really, I think the end is it is what it is. It, it brings people. It's a nice bond. And you know, if you've never done it, I, I encourage people to come out and really enjoy the end. It, it's about enjoyment. I mean, I just I have every year. I'm just blown away of the caliber, and it just keeps on increasing. I mean, I was even there that year with you during COVID. Where we're yes. in that room, sitting six feet apart with Zoom, with everybody coming in on Zoom at whatever time it was in the morning for them in Scotland, you know, they were in there, and we were just like, it's just, it's, it's, you can't do it. I mean, and and I look at like what you were saying earlier in the '90s when you were hitting these distilleries and making friends and making bonds. I mean, you had to be one of the few people that was out there doing that. Most people were just drinking it. You were like, I want to learn, I want to meet, I want to see. You know, I, and I think that's what I've noticed with you. It's like the people that come to the event to support you as far as the brand, it's like, that's a bond. And I know it takes a lot of work to get them to come out, but you've worked 30 years on that bond. It is a bond. And that's a lifelong friendship. It is, it is. And it's It's real friendship because, you know, I go, if you go to other stuff and it's like, you can tell it's a, a marketing play. I've never ever, you know, I tell everybody, it's like, I don't, Universal is not about marketing. Universal is about fun. It's about luxury and it's about rare. Like if you truly want to taste 
the rarest whiskeys that the world is offering, past, present, present, and sometimes future. You know, there's a couple of guys that have come over the years to show what the future looks like. Like, there's just nothing else. There really isn't. And the masterclasses are like the cherry on top because, you know, if I think Patterson's masterclass last year and I think of Mortlock's, you know, masterclass, it's like all those masterclasses where you get that one-on-one and learn the breakdown and who they are and what they do. For me as an investor and a drinker, that I, I don't buy anything or drink anything that I don't know about. Like yeah. I was saying earlier, I want to taste it. I want to know. I might not open, but I'm proud to say pretty much everything in my whiskey collection I have tried. Not my bottle most of the time because, you know, I've been fortunate that the bottle's been open where I'm at. I'm like, listen, I'm not opening a, you know, a couple of thousand dollar bottle where I can try it here for a hundred bucks a pour, you know, in a restaurant somewhere all day long. But it's that experience of that unique and rareness, like just can't be duplicated. But it's really because you're running something that's a passion project more than a business when you do this because you have your own businesses. And I think that's what shines for me. It is. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for those kind words. And it really is. It is about this is built from passion and lifelong friendships that I have developed with these people in the industry. Uh, not just the industry. Let's talk about the, the consumers. They come from all over. They are great friends. And, you know, some of them are also, you know, bar owners like Ely. There are restaurant owners. You know, Fine and Rare in New York City. Tommy Tardy will be there this year. Tommy's Tommy's coming. I was with Tommy in New York a few weeks ago. I mean, I know, you know. Yeah, Tommy, Tommy didn't tell me I ate us too long. Yeah, and I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a co-ownership in that uh, operation there. Have uh, ever <laughs> since it opened up, so you know I, I sort of dabbled around a little bit of that as well. But you know it that that that's fine because the reason why I went into it is not just a bar and restaurant. It's got a unique atmosphere of its own as well, right? And I like that element of that particular restaurant yeah. and bar. But coming back to this, it really has developed an overpassion. It's like Brett from Pontone, a Brett Pontoni for Binnie's, great friend of mine. He'll be at the show every year. He helps uh, helps helps out at the show, and uh, you've met him. And uh, so you know people mm-hmm. like that always there. Uh, but you know, and like I said, you, you got to uh, to come to experience this. And this is something that I even tell some of the brands, the newer brands coming in. We're not a whiskey whiskey show. Okay, it's not just coming here, pay several hundred dollars, drink it. You know, people come and then forget about it. We're a lot more than that. And I think that's once the brands have also come and experienced this, they understand what we're about. Yes, we're not a direct sales tool, but everything that happens there has an influence automatically. People go back and people buy. Some people just want to come there and drink it, but some people also buy and collect, like yourself. You 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 taste and you know, if you like it, you'll go and buy a bottle and put it in the way. So it's 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 a, it's a fun thing. Going back to the master classes. You know how much effort goes into curating those? I am I'm a stickler about the classes that I want there. I'd like this year, we got great classes coming up. Dr. Bill Lumsden is going to do some really great stuff from his experimental stuff, okay, in his cast. Then we've got, actually, Blue Label is, Johnny Walker Blue is doing something fun. They're going to do the history of the Blue, and they're taking you in a journey of all the elements of the Blue, okay? Then we've got Benedicta Hardy coming in doing well this year for the first time. Uh, she's going to be talking about her cognac and just the cognac stuff and tasting of some great whiskey. We've got um, a new uh, uh, Irish distiller uh, called Craft Irish Whiskey. 
very cool stuff they're bringing. So they're doing a class. We've got, uh, who else is the other one? I'm thinking, I'll, oh, there's Motlock at redoing another pretty cool class this year as well. And I think then, oh, Patron. I know, and, and we have been alarming other liquors, as you know now. So, yeah, let's no, no, of course. Yeah, and so I think it's a very compliment. So Patron is going to be doing something fun about their uh, particular tequila as well. And it's it's quite an interesting topic. So, you know, really, to be honest with you, but when you go back to the price of that, you know, three three grams for the high roller, it's oh, nothing compared yeah. to what you what you're getting there. It's, it's no, it's a, a. I mean, I was I was never a cognac drinker. Mm-hmm. I was never a cognac when I met Benedict what four years ago the first time. I mean, I yeah. ended up buying all four seasons last year for my collection. I'm like, this is like you're not going to replicate this moment. There's no way she can't microwave a hundred and ten year old cognac. No, you can't. Oh, she can't microwave sixty <laughs> year old. You can't just make it out. And I think that's where the, the true passion for me comes and what you saw as a kid and growing up in, and visiting more. It's like things have changed. There's more distilleries. But those original passion and those original laid casks that are north of, you know, 30 years, like that was a special moment in history. That person didn't have a cell phone or an email or their wife could bother them for work. Yeah. They just went to work and did the best job, the best job that they could. And, and, now for us to, you know, with you to experience some of these 40s and 50s and 60-year-old whiskey, it's like, that's an era. That's a bygone. It's, it's history. I, I tell everybody, and that's a very good point you bring up, it is history in the making. Just think that a number of people touched that liquid before it got to your lips, right? The number of people that nurtured it yeah. brought it to the where it is right now. It's, it's um, it, you know, even, a, you know, a, a 20 years is quite a long time as well, right? But it's a big 40, 50, 60, and then you get into some of the old stuff. Last year, as one of the special dinners that we did with Gordon McPhail, they cracked open the eight-year-old Glenlivet. Ten guests got to try that with the dinner. I mean, just think about, that's three generations of their family members that have <laughs> been nurturing that to bring this to life. And, and they, their grandfather who's passed away now. He was a young man when he first laid that whiskey down. So <laughs> it's... It's just amazing, isn't it, when you look at all that age? I mean, that's that's where my appreciation and love, because as a, you know, the, like we said, a whiskey nerd, a whiskey geek, like, these are trips down history lane that just yeah. won't happen again. It won't happen. You know, like, they just can't. You know, the demand is high. These people were making whiskey that nobody really wanted. You know, like, they were either, like, they were putting in there that the hope that somebody would give a shit at some point to actually want it. And, 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 you know, look at Japanese whiskey. It sat on the shelves for years. Yeah, it's amazing whiskey. Nobody wanted it until they won an award. And that's been, like, historically. And now we get to see all these, like, older distilleries kind of getting their de- the day in the, in the sun again, thanks to the guys like Gordon McPhail and Duncan Taylor, who, who were grabbing those whiskeys back in the day and saying, well, I, I'll take that. That's something special. And they were saying, well, absolutely, look our core item, you know. Um, but look, look at this. I know you have a million. There, there is a, just just touching back on that point. You know, we've this year we've got uh, Ian McLeod Distillers coming in. They own, you know, the shutdown distillery Rosebank. Well, they're bringing all liquid from that to the show. Okay, so Rosebank is an iconic low, uh, lowland whiskey, uh, and it's coming back to life. They're rebuilding the distillery, uh, reoperate, uh, doing the ignition to restart the distillery, but. They've got casks of the stuff that was made when the distillery before the industry shut down. 
So they're bringing stuff like that. So there's just old, old stuff like that that's very unique. Oh, and, you know, you look at uh, another one of the distillers company that's coming. You might have heard of Samaroli. It's an Italian independent bottler. It's a way some old, old cost of stuff. So they're coming to the end as well. So interesting stuff. Uh, I have a, in, ne- in the next four weeks, we've got some interesting drinking to do, my friend. Oh, yeah, wait. I got a question for you, and I know you've had a million experiences. Any, like, top two pinch yourself wow experience? Or you've just had, you've had a lot. You're, you're, you're probably my most challenging guest to ask that question because you truly have experience. But is, does something like that exist? Or you've had just truly so many absolutely amazing experiences? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to brag or anything, but I have had some <laughs> amazing, amazing experiences. Many, many. Uh, but the one I'm just thinking off the top of my head that sort of strikes, what, what could it be that, which will be the, <laughs> I'm just thinking now, which could be the best one or something that's really unique. Boy, we've, you know, when we cracked open that bottle of the Royal Salute, a tribute to Honor bottle at the Tower of London in, in uh, 2014, I cracked it open. That was the $250,000 bottle. And, and that was a magical moment because basically it was an amazing whiskey with uh, Colin Scott, the master blender, who made it, we cracked it open, and the guests that were there, but it was to honor the royalty, the queen, and everything for her, then Diamond Jubilee. But that was a magical moment. But I've got to say, one that, uh, a rustic moment would be, <laughs> would be, I'm going to give a rustic one, but okay, would be to go <laughs> to Japan, when I was traveling with Japan and Ichiro, you know, Ichiro is right. Mm-hmm. Of course. And, uh, I was invited to go out there. This was just before Japanese was even taken out and I was traveling and he was nurturing some cast of some old whiskey. And I'm like, okay, what is this stuff? And, uh, he took me into his cellar and the distillery had already gone. He cracked open a couple of cars and I tried the whiskey and I thought, oh my God, it was so amazing. It was just so amazing. Can you guess what those whiskeys were? The Hanyu series. No, Karazawa. Oh, shit. Yeah. That- Karazawa. Yeah, like you turned. Yeah, yeah. It is. You know the story behind Karazawa, the story that got shut down and he was storing those then. And I said to the people, Level One Rings Company, I need some. <laughs> so back in the day, this was uh, going into 90s, early 2000s, I acquired two sherry casks of Karazawa at that time, when nobody even knew what a Karazawa was, let alone uh, a Japanese whiskey was. And we bottled those in 2018. And it is, damn, we had them at the show as well. And we cracked open those of the Super Four. Those were some fantastic. So my my going back to your question, that was a magical moment to go in there and just to go into a warehouse and find something that's now the story can relate now because of what it is, but it was just it's a fantastic moment to discover something like that, you know? Ah. I mean, you're talking about the moment before it became a moment. Exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> you know, I think that's where you've really been fortunate. You were there in the pre, so now kind of looking in the post going like, oh, wow. That, that, there, there is one more moment. There is one more moment that I will share. Uh, so, you know the shackles and whiskey that Richard made? Yes. And then it was discovered. Uh, the original early Shackleton whiskies that were discovered back in Antarctica and brought into New Zealand. Richard was able to bring some samples out and then recreate the whiskey. I walked into his blending lab. So probably, I don't know, five, uh, I don't know, just went before he had, just about when he was making it. And he puts it to the very, very, very midget of samples. He says, try both these. I tried it while oh, this bike last whiskey. What is this? He said, try the other one. So, so what is this for a chippy? Because, well, that one there is the Shackleton that I just made that's going to go on sale, the first Shackleton. Oh, great. That one there, you're the second person in the world to try that after me. So what's it? Yeah, and I go, are you kidding me? It was the original. He gave me a little sample of that. Uh, that, so those are those are those are unbelievable experiences. <laughs> so, but he might not I mean much to yeah. many people, but to me, meant a lot. <laughs> so, oh, that's beautiful. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. It's this year is just flying. It'll probably be like next weekend if this rate keeps on going of time. Just keep. I mean, honestly, you're an inspiration. I, I, you know, I started collecting really based on what I'd seen you do. And then the last few years getting to hang out and spend time with you has truly been a privilege. And I continue to learn and watch and educate myself because, you know, like you, I, I'm a firm believer in investing and drinking in what I know and I've experienced as opposed to guessing. And, and your show gives us that huge luxury of being able to try. You know, I don't think I bought Gordon McPhail bottles before I started coming to hang out with you. And now it's like, shit, I, you know, anytime I see them or Duncan Taylor, up on auction, I'm jumping all over them. Yep. Um, Mash, you want to give some give some some of your uh, plugs? I know you've got a couple of cool things going on in the whiskey space before we wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on, on your uh, podcast today as well. Uh, and uh, looking forward to probably coming back later on and uh, promoting other things as well. But yes, yeah, so... With, uh, yeah, uh, and I definitely want to talk... I want to talk about... One day we will talk about independent bottling. Not this girl, but yeah, I'll let you wrap... <laughs> okay, got So basically, I'd like to, you know, uh, uh, we know we got the show coming up April 20th through the 22nd in a less than about a month's time. So people yep. do come along because you are going to be fascinated to not only just try the great products, but also to see all these top whiskey and spirits makers that attend this event. So I encourage people to come along to that. But at the show this year, there's going to be a very, very big announcement going to be made. And it's going to be very fun and not just fun but it's going to be a big expansion and what we're doing at universal whiskey experience i don't want to say too much more right now but uh an announcement will be made on the day of the show and we're doing some uh stuff to take this journey of mine and sharing it even across different fields so that's definitely happening but uh i just invite all of you to come along and enjoy our whiskey camaraderie and there's nothing like it, my friends, seriously, like the high roller and what we do that night. I mean, we walk into that room and we're just like, whoa, wow, 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 wow. Like, you know, <laughs> stop doing that for two and a half days. 
you just like every time you look at each other you want to like pinch yourself that you're having this amazing experience and there's nothing like it there never will be there's not you know this is mash is not a marketing company this is coming from a place of passion that like he said it went from hotel rooms with friends to the to the encore and win you know and and that's what it is you feel it when you walk in there you feel the camaraderie you feel the knowledge you f the whole experience just speaks to you at a whole different level than anything else so i appreciate you my friend i'll see you in a few weeks and thank you again for taking the time today thank you so much gavin have a great day